Welcome. Good to see you. Good morning. Thanks for letting me be the guest. I, uh, if you've been around New Life for a long time, then you know I'm not just a guest, I'm one of you. You know, I, uh, for lots of years, I was right here, week in and week out, on Sunday mornings, I would be sitting here and listening to the Word of God, and that's, those times are precious to me, because God, God just shaped me, changed me, prepared me, and uh, I'm just so grateful to come back. Uh, there were times here that I got to serve um, in Awana ministry. In 101, a, a ministry, uh, we got to teach people about the gospel. Uh, I led a collegiate Bible study here. Just love my time here, and so I'm so grateful to be back. Um, just, just brings so much good memories to my heart. And I got to see some old friends here this, you know, this morning already, so it's been great. Um, and so I'm grateful to share with you, not just the Word of God, but to share my life with you guys today. Um, a little, little bit about me. I'm uh, 43 years old, and I've been married this Thursday. It will be 16 years. This is a picture of my wife, Tammy. She's the beautiful one on the left. And uh, then my daughter, she's eight, is Abby. And my other daughter, Carly, she's six. Uh, that's my family, and they're precious to me. And uh, also, I pastor at New Life OSU. Um, that church um, has just been an amazing thing to be a part of. Uh, to see college students, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, fall in love with Jesus, give their life to the gospel, and then passionately try to share that with other people is just a joy to be a part of. Uh, this past spring, we sent a team to Mexico to minister to students and to uh, an orphanage down there. In May, we sent a team to Peru uh, that until just a few years ago, that village had never heard the gospel. And this past year, um, we partnered with you along with the New Life Network churches to plant a church at the University of Pittsburgh. And they are now starting to gather their students to themselves and are starting to have weekly meetings where they're sharing the gospel and discipling people. So it's an exciting thing to be a part of. And um, let me just say on behalf of myself and my staff and everyone there, thank you. Uh, you may not realize, uh, but you guys are our biggest supporter, prayerfully and financially. Um, and really, Steve is probably my biggest mentor and discipler and helps me learn how to be a better pastor. And so I'm just so grateful. I uh, just want to let you guys know that. Um, I'm, I'm not just a pastor. That's, that's my job. That's what I do. Um, I'm a father and I'm a husband. And uh, those are part of the ways I would describe myself. But when I think about who I am, my primary identity is I'm a disciple of Jesus. And I'm a missionary in my neighborhood. Wherever I'm at, that's where I represent. And I happen to live in a condominium community up in Worthington and surrounded by lots of people. And uh, I just consider myself a plant. I'm undercover for Jesus. And I'm always trying to reach people in my neighborhood and connect to them. And over the years that I've lived there, I've got to see many things happen and share the gospel many times. We had a Bible study that went on in the neighborhood for three years. And it was an awesome time. We got to see people give their lives to Christ. Mostly, you know, I'm probably just known as Ed, that religious dude, you know. There's a, a new neighbor that moved in, a couple, and uh, the lady's pregnant. And, um, you know, I, I try to say hi to her when I was out walking my dog, and I see him. And to be honest with you, he's kind of a big dude. And uh, you probably can't tell. I'm kind of small, um, not very imposing. He is like 205 pounds of solid muscle. He looks like a beast. And uh, so I'm kind of, and he's tatted up. He's kind of scary. So 
I'm like, how do you approach a guy? I'm kind of intimidated. Anyway, well, one day that she had had the baby and he was walking, he had the carriage and he had the baby in the little carrier. I'm like, well, I want to see the baby. So I walk up, I'm like, what you got in there? His baby just lit up, just smiled from ear. I'm like, he just looked like a nice beast now. So <laughs> I went up, I saw his baby and we start talking and I introduced myself, he introduced himself and had a great conversation. Now, whenever I'm out, he sees me, he's like, hey, Ed. Well, one day he was pushing the baby in a stroller to kind of get the baby calmed down, and we started talking, and we were talking about parenting, and he was giving me, you know, kind of ideas about parenting, and we were sharing stories, and he said that one thing he likes to do, his, there's a seven-year-old there in the house, he went, he's training the seven-year-old in Taekwondo, gives him classes and that, that and the other. He said because he was trained in Taekwondo, it gave him discipline and all that kind of stuff, confidence. I said, oh, are you a fan of mixed martial arts? He goes, I'm a mixed martial artist. I said... Really? <laughs> He's on the internet. He's the number two ranked MMA guy in the state of Ohio as an amateur, and he just turned professional. His nickname is the Ninja Assassin. <laughs> He's a friend of mine. <laughs> Listen, I want to connect to all my neighbors because I, I love people, and I, I love the people in my neighborhood. My goal primarily is to love them. But in loving them, I know I'm a missionary. I want to share the gospel with them too. And uh, I, when I think about this, this guy, I think of those scriptures that say, be all things to all men. And I start to concern myself. Do I have to get in the ring with the beast, you know? That's, take one for the team, right? Um, listen, I, that's who I am. It's part of my life. And uh, we're in a series about identity. And if you've been here the last three weeks, and you know that we've talked about a lot of things. And three weeks ago, Jay talked about the idea that we are children of God. Not just a popular notion that we're all God's children, but the notion that to anyone who would believe on Jesus, from John chapter 1, it says, he gave the right to become a child of God. And if, if you and I, if we've responded to the gospel and we're children of God, doesn't that make us valuable? Children of God, royal blood, and then Brian talked about us being a royal priesthood, that we have a purpose for our life. If you've ever wondered, do I have a purpose in this life? God knew you before you had any idea, and he has a plan for your life. You are part of a royal priesthood. And then Joe last week talked about being servant worshipers. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. And in the same way we serve, and by laying down our life as a sacrifice to others, by serving them, is our spiritual act of worship. And I wonder, if, if that's true, if Christians, if the church embraced our identity, maybe you're thinking, why does the church have a bigger impact in our communities and in our culture? And if you're here, and maybe it's your first time here, or maybe, you know, someone told you they'd buy you free lunch or something if you showed up today. You're kind of a skeptic. Maybe you're thinking... Maybe just like I do, I think media and I think the music industry has as much influence over our culture, probably more so than the church. Why is that? And I'll bet you have people in your life, in your family, where you work, people you live with, that you want to have an impact on. And you're wondering, well, what do I got to do? What, what has to happen so that I can be an influence for Christ in these people's lives? And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this part of our identity that we are 
disciples and missionaries. And, and in that, that's going to kind of hold the key to what it means that God is trying to work in and through us to influence our cultures. So if you have a Bible, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to share a couple things, and I'm going to refer back to this passage. But that first thing I want to share is that we are disciples. Now, if you grew up like me in a particular church, I thought the 12 disciples were the disciples, right? Peter, James, John, you know, those guys. And then if you grew up maybe in another church, you read even more about the Bible, then you realize that Jesus called 70 guys to himself and sent them out. And they were his disciples. But in Jesus' day, let me tell you what a disciple was. You had grown up under your dad's business. So let's say your dad was a shepherd. Well, you would apprentice under your dad. And then someday you would take over the business and you would be a shepherd. Well, a rabbi could come in town. And what a rabbi would do is he would call some of the young men to himself. And they would leave the shepherding business behind and they would go and they would train under that rabbi. So everything the rabbi taught, everything that he preached about, everything that he was schooling these young men in, they were expected to memorize and to learn. And eventually, they were supposed to be able to say the very same things that that rabbi had taught. That's what discipleship was in Jesus' day. Well, today, you can look on dictionary.com and here's what it says about a disciple. It's a person who is a pupil of the teachings of another to follow. And on dictionary.com it says, any follower of Jesus. Any follower of Jesus. So as we're going to think about what it means to be a disciple, I'm going to read this passage to you. But before we do that, let me just pray that somehow God will speak here today, okay? Um, Lord, I just believe that um, you've been working um, in the body here the last couple services, and I just thank you so much for what you're doing. But I also believe that you want to be here and meet with us and talk to us. And I pray that somehow that the people here would almost forget that I'm here and would hear your voice. You have a way of talking to us right where we're at and shaping us and challenging us. And I pray, God, that you would do that. And I pray for me, God, that I would just worship you and what I'm doing here. In your son's holy name, amen. Now, in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's a beautiful passage. It's about the gospel. The essence of it's right in here. And this, this letter was written by Paul to this church at Corinth. And I know that your church went through the first letter of Corinthians not too long ago. This is a follow-up letter. And this church is a young church, younger than New Life. So that first letter was a letter of correction, instruction, encouragement. And this is a follow-up letter. And in this chapter, in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, it has the essence of the gospel. Here's what it says. In verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, and we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That passage is the essence of the gospel. God makes us to be in relationship with him, but because of sin, we're separated. So the justice of God is going to pay sin back. But the love of God and the justice of God and the mercy of God all meet at the cross. And he actually pays for our sins himself in order to reconcile us back and make us righteous. The word righteous basically means right standing. So think of a relationship that you're in that you have and everything's right in that relationship. Well, sin separates that. That's the problem. So God loves you and I so much that he comes down and pays the penalty for us so that we can be reconciled and made righteous or in right standing with God. That's the essence and beauty of the gospel right here. But there's something in here that I want to key on. Verse 17. You should underline this in your bulletin. Here's what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Let me explain. A few weeks ago, when Jay was talking about what it means to be a child of God, he meant those people have res- who have responded to the gospel. Those who've been reconciled because of what Jesus has done. That moment when you decide to respond to the gospel, something amazing happens. God puts his Holy Spirit in you. You become a new creation. Now, another way that Jesus would have said that, he would have said, you need to be born again. Now, I grew up in a faith where we thought born-agains were like crazy fanatic people, okay? I had a, a neighbor whose mom was one of those born-again people, and she was always telling us about Jesus. And my dad said, yeah, she's fanatical. But Jesus is the one who brought it up. He brought it up with a very religious man, and he told that guy, listen, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, what that means for you and I is simply this. We respond to the gospel. And when that happens, when we look at our sin and go, oh, man, this can't work. God, you're my only hope. Because of the cross, I'm going to give my life to you. You become a new creation. You become born again and therefore become a follower of Jesus. And your identity is a disciple of Jesus. Anyone who's a follower is a disciple of Jesus. People have weird preconceived notions about things like born again and disciples and followers. And I have a, I have a dentist office that I go to. And, and to be honest with you, I'm kind of afraid of the dentist. Um, anyone else this is like one of your fears you're afraid of the dentist don't let me on my own okay like lots of you it, it's not so much the dentist it's those needles you know what I mean um, my dentist I think they do kind of a smart thing they when you sit down in the chair they have a tv screen that's showing shows on there I think to distract you from what they're doing okay I think it's probably a good idea but more than that they always talk to me when they're doing stuff so the dentist will talk to me my hygienist will talk to me i think it's to distract me from the hatchets and those you know sandblasters and the uh, weird suction thing that makes all that noise and you know it's, it's also threatening well anyway one day i'm sitting in the chair and they're doing their thing and you know this the, the woman who's cleaning my teeth she's got the suction thing in there and my mouth is full of stuff and she's got the the sandblaster all that stuff's going on in there and she's just rambling about whatever probably trying to distract me which i appreciate well nevertheless on the screen comes this religious figure well she starts talking about all of her opinions about all of religion just going on and on and on and then she says it's those crazy born-agains they're the ones who freak me out 
what have they done so bad that they need a do-over? And I've got all this stuff in my mouth. I'm going, boy, it's not what you think. It's not what you think. Listen, to be born again simply means to have been reconciled to God through the gospel. That means he is your Lord, not just your Savior. And if he's your Lord, he's your teacher, and therefore you are his disciple. It's that simple. Part of our identity, we are disciples of Jesus. Secondly, we're missionaries. We are missionaries. Now, you probably have someone that comes to mind when you think missionary. Maybe Heather. Maybe someone else. We think missionary, we usually think someone who's dedicated their life to go overseas to represent Christ. I have a, uh, an aunt and uncle who spent years in Ireland and years in New Zealand. And they were the missionaries in our family and just love them. They just served God so faithfully. And um, my aunt passed away a few years ago and I was at the funeral. And uh, at the funeral, everyone talked about the beauty of her life and how she was dedicated to this high calling of being a missionary. But I think that in some ways, it's sending a false message. Not that what they're doing isn't beautiful. But do you know that anyone who's a follower of Christ is a missionary? In fact, have you ever asked yourself, am I a missionary? Have you considered that you might be? Let me just give you the definition. It's this, a missionary is a person sent to evangelize or care for people. A person sent on a mission. Let me go back to what Paul was writing here in verse 18. Now remember, you've been reconciled. You're a new creation. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That means you've been given a mission. The ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he committed to us the message of reconciliation. Once again, you have a mission. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, you and I, the moment we become reconciled, we are now his disciples. And as a disciple, we are always on mission with Jesus. And his mission is the gospel. That's what we do, is always gathering in and always sending out. And that ministry, we represent him. We are his ambassadors. We know what an ambassador is, right? An ambassador is someone who goes somewhere and represents someone else. They don't go there on their own agenda. They go there to represent someone else's agenda. If we are his ambassadors, then we go and represent Christ's agenda. What's his agenda? Reconciliation, the gospel. Missionaries are always looking to share the gospel. And maybe, you know, maybe you're, you know, kind of a skeptic, or maybe you grew up thinking things like this. And I've heard this. I bet you have. Um, look, I don't care what you Christians believe. Just don't push it on anyone else. Have you heard that? Maybe you've said that. I get the objection. But it's not fair. Let me explain why. Because... If you're, what you're saying to me is, I can believe the message, I just can't share it. But if what I believe is true, it's not good if I don't share it. Let me explain. Let's say afterward, all of us decide to go to a particular restaurant, okay? And I know the chicken's spoiled, okay? So I just tell you guys, listen, get the steak, get the salad bar, stay away from the chicken, 
Got it? We all go to the restaurant, we all get the steak, we all get the salad, and we watch all these people eating the chicken, and next thing you know, they're all getting really sick. Don't you think at best it's irresponsible of us, but at worst it's kind of evil of us? So don't tell me to believe what I believe, because if what I believe is true, listen, there is no other name under heaven given by which men are going to be saved. That means people are unwittingly or willfully moving towards an eternity that is not good. And worse yet, they're going to live the rest of their life never understanding the identity in which God was trying to bring them into. I love to share the gospel with people. I, I love getting, I'm always looking for the opportunity because it's who I am. I, I'm, one, I, I'm one of these like weird dudes who, you know, you ever sit around on a Saturday morning and people go around neighborhoods and they're knocking on doors from the Jehovah's Witness people? You guys, and maybe you're the person who like when they knock on your door, you just don't answer it. Or you stand out there and say, I'm a Christian and you slam the door. Maybe you're that person. Listen, I'm the guy who when I see him going down the street, I'm like, open the door and I'm praying I'm like God please let them knock on my door please listen not because I want to do battle against them but listen they're spreading a false gospel in my neighborhood secondly I've never met a Jehovah's Witness that wasn't sincere that means they sincerely believe a false gospel I have a friend who who's been who's a Jehovah's Witness that knocked on my door several years ago and we met over a long period of time, we became friends. Beautiful man. His name is Calvin. He's in his 50s. His children are grown. He's a great dad. He was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. Here's what he believes. He believes that Jesus is not God. He's something less than that. That's what his church teaches. He's some kind of an angel. And, and the cross, it's only good enough to give us a head start so that we can earn back what we need to earn back. That's what they believe. And if he works hard enough, and that's what Calvin does, he's always going around. Because if he works hard enough, maybe he will gain a better eternity. That is no gospel at all. So when he comes to my house, we talk about parenting and we talk about life. And I always bring up Jesus. And I talk about how Jesus is God. I mentioned to him about how Jesus accepted worship. How Jesus literally was able to forgive sin. How Jesus can judge the world, how Jesus granted life. Jesus was the creator. I bring up all these concepts that only God can do. And then I bring up John 1.1. In John 1.1, maybe you're familiar, in your Bible, here's what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later on in the chapter, it says, and the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. They're talking about Jesus. So you could interpret it like this. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. That's how you could interpret it. Now listen, their church has the same Bible. They have the same Greek text. They just change the words in their Bible. They have misinterpreted John 1.1. Here's what they say. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Something less than God. Something God-like, but not God. And so then they say, well, he's not God. I'm always sharing the stuff with Calvin and and praying that somehow God would open his eyes. And listen, as a missionary, my job is to declare it and to love him. I cannot open his eyes. That's not my job. So if you're sitting here today and thinking, man, I want to share the gospel, but I'm, I never get anywhere, that's not your job. Your job is to love them and represent the king. You're his ambassador. That's what we do. Our jobs are to be disciples and missionaries. That's our identity. So maybe you're thinking, why don't 
we have a bigger influence. Why can't I have a bigger influence in my community? Maybe you shrink back. Maybe you're afraid. What is it? What, what's going on? Well, I think the scripture here also gives us a picture as to why we probably struggle. Because it's hard. But there's something inside of us that's actually battling against us in this identity. Okay? Go to verse 14 and 15. Let me read this to you. Now, we know this is true. But it's so difficult to live it out. Here's what it says. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That means that if we've been reconciled on behalf of the cross, we shouldn't live for ourselves any longer. But we do. We tend to want what we want when we want it. We want to be comfortable. We don't want to have to put our life out there and then get rejected or humiliated. We think about ourselves. I'm more concerned with my own comfort than anyone else's. It's a reality. It's a battle that goes on in me to live for myself. But listen, in order for us to really do the things that God wants us to do, for us to live in light of the gospel, we have to embrace our identity. And part of that identity is you don't belong to yourself. We have to embrace that. You are not your own. And this passage is saying, don't live for yourself. Let me, let me tell you why I love the Bible. Because you see things in the Bible over and over again that are just amazing. And if you take some time to read your Bible, you'll see them. Listen, there's a great passage in the book of Mark. Let me just kind of explain it to you. It's, uh, you've probably heard it anyway. But in Jesus' day, there were some guys, the Pharisees, who were the religious elite. They, they were the leaders of Israel. And they did not like Jesus at all. Jesus kept talking about righteousness can only come from the Father. It's got to exceed that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were intimidated by that. They were not happy. They wanted to kill him, all right? So they paired up with some other guys, and they set up a plan in motion, got the brightest minds in all of Israel to, like, trap Jesus publicly so they can put him in prison. They come to him, and they say to him, Jesus, we know you're this great guy. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? You guys familiar with that story? Now, here's the problem. If he says yes pay taxes to Caesar, he's going to alienate all the people in Israel because the people of Israel want to break off from Rome. Secondly, Caesar was considered a godlike figure in the Roman Empire, and you would be honoring that god. Well, if he says, no, let's not pay taxes to Caesar, you know what happens then? He's an insurrectionist. All they have to do is round up the local Roman official, and they can arrest him. Do you see how he's stuck? Well, He's not just some carpenter. He's God in the flesh. He sees through them. Here's what he says to them. Hey, uh, why don't you all just bring me a coin? He says, whose image is on the coin? Here's what a coin like that would, you know, from that day would look like. Something like that. It would have a picture of Caesar on the front of the coin. And he says this, whose image is on the coin? And they're like, Caesar's. Well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. What is he saying? The image implies ownership whose image is on the coin caesar's well obviously it belongs to caesar we'll just give that to him then he doesn't stop there he says but give to god what is god's oh. <laughs> genesis chapter one how how did jesus know that because jesus was in this conversation genesis chapter one verse 26 then god said let us make man in our image in our likeness, 
Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that make or that move above the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, you are made in God's image. Every time you look in the mirror, every time you see another person, you're seeing someone who is made in God's image. When you value love, when you value justice, when you value mercy, when you value sacrifice, that's an indication of something inside that God has made you in his image. And we were supposed to embrace that, embrace God, but we battle because we want to live for ourselves rather than the image that's on us. And that is inside you and me. That battle is what is going to hinder you from actually wanting to share and actually be a disciple on mission. I, in my neighborhood, like I said, I love to share. I have these neighbors across the street. Moved in a, uh, a few years ago, and a uh, young couple, and uh, love them. They're awesome people. But when I first met them, um, I, I couldn't connect to the guy. I tried. Um, I would try to talk to him. He, one day we had like a little neighborhood gathering, and they came over, and I tried to talk to him then. He was kind of like, you know, didn't want to talk to me. And um, then on trick-or-treat day, I took my kids over to trick-or-treat, thinking, oh, yeah, hey, what's going on? No, nothing. I'm like, I'm like, Ugh. And, well, the girl, um, she would go to Starbucks in the morning. And at the time, my wife worked at Starbucks. My wife isn't just beautiful. She's a genius, okay? <laughs> I don't know how Starbucks works, but evidently you're allowed to give out so many free coffees. Every time this girl would show up, my wife would say, oh, no, no, it's on me today. Are you sure? Yeah, it's on me today. Next day she'd show up. Oh, no, 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 your coffee's on me today. Next thing you know, they're like best friends. <laughs> Coffee evangelism. You want to try that yourself. They're best friends. They're hanging out. They're talking. Next thing you know, all four of us are hanging out. We're barbecuing. Turns out he has a daughter that stays with him now and again about my daughter's age. Next thing you know, his daughter and my daughter are best friends. They're hanging out all the time. He taught my daughter how to ride a bike. I mean... We love them. We, we are best friends. We love these guys. One of the best things in my neighborhood are these two people in our friendship. But in my heart, I wanted them to know the gospel. I want to share with them. And I'm always looking for opportunities. Well, one Saturday morning, I was, uh, I was kind of busy. To be honest with you, on that particular Saturday morning, I was preparing a sermon for the next Sunday. Okay? So I'm researching and writing and rewriting and thinking it through and trying to find a way to make it connect to people. And he knocks on my door. He comes over, and I'm like, hey, what's up? And his daughter comes in. His daughter sees my daughter. So they're like, ah. They run upstairs. They're playing. And so then, you know, what's he going to do? So he sits down. I sit down, and we're making small talk. You know, we're talking about this. We're talking about that. Talking about this. About a half hour into the small talk, I'm starting to think, i gotta, I got to get my sermon done. About 15 minutes later, this is all that's going on in my head. He's talking. I'm going, it's time to go. I've got work to do. I have to do the Lord's work down there. <laughs> Don't repeat that. I don't want anyone to know that. And I'm telling you, I don't know if you've ever heard the voice of God. And I get, you know, listen, when I hear a voice, I, it usually sounds like me. So I'm not sure if it's God or me, but I'm telling you, in my spirit, I heard the voice of God that day say two words to me. Pay attention. The hair on the back of my head stood up. I'm like, I am laser focused, okay? <laughs> and he starts talking about cities that he's been to. 
I bring up the fact that I've been to New York City. We talked about how large it is and all the people. He said, well, I've been to Athens, Greece. I said, tell me about Athens. I've heard a lot about Athens. It's a beautiful city and hilly and there's the ocean and all that. He goes, yeah, it's beautiful. He goes, the only problem is it's so easy to get lost there. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, my girlfriend has no sense of direction and I can't read the signs. I said, well, well what did you do? He said, well, I have a great sense of direction and she can read the signs. I said, oh, cool. Wait, what? I said, uh, she reads the signs? Oh, yeah, she's, she's Greek. She's from Athens. She's, she's fluent. I said, well, she, she reads Greek? Yeah, she reads Greek. Yeah. I said, could she help me? <laughs> he said, sure, what? I said, listen, I have a friend named Calvin. He believes this about God. And listen, his Bible comes from the same Greek text that our Bible comes from. Let me explain to you what John 1, 1 says. I started explaining the whole thing to him. I said, do you understand? I said, I said buddy, you know Easter, right? He said, yeah, I know Easter. God makes man to be in a relationship with him, but man sin. And because of that, we are separate from God. But God sends his son down to die on a cross to pay our penalty, to die on the cross for us, and then rises again. And because he's alive, he calls into relationship with him. And that's what gives us salvation and I said, listen, they don't teach that he's God. If he's not God, he can't pay for our sin. I said, do you understand what I'm saying? He goes, yeah, all of Easter rides on my girlfriend. I said, yes. <laughs> That's right. I said, do you think she'll help me? She'll help you. We get her over there. I bring out my Greek Bible. I'm like, will you please help me? I explained the whole gospel to her. I said, could you please help me? She starts reading it. And it's ancient Greek. So she's reading it. She goes, wait a second. I'm sure that Jesus is God. I'm like, she calls her mom. They're talking in Greek, high pitch, going back and forth. I'm thinking it's a Pentecostal meeting or something. They're going back and forth and back and forth. She comes like, no, my mom said he absolutely is God. There's no way to mistranslate that. I'm like, I almost missed it. Do you know why I almost missed it? Because deep down, I think about me more than anyone else. I almost missed the whole thing. Listen, that battle goes on in us. That conversation has opened up doors for me to talk to them about many things. They asked me to do their wedding. I agreed. I said, if you let me do six weeks of premarital counseling, the gospel. <laughs> Listen, they are awesome people. I cannot guarantee you that they're going to fall in love with Jesus. But my job is not just to love them, but to share the gospel with them with my life and with my words. And that's who I am. My identity is a disciple of Jesus, and I'm a missionary. And that's what I want to conclude with. If there's one thing I want you to walk away with, it's this, is that we are disciples on mission with Jesus, and our mission is to declare the gospel. We are disciples on mission with Jesus, and our mission is to declare the gospel. And listen, if you're here today, and maybe you heard they were free donuts or something, you know, that's your thing and, and I get that or maybe church has just been an obligation to you you just come because someone keeps you know riding you about it or maybe it's your family or a spouse or something listen I get that but if the gospel is true let me say to you what Paul said to the Corinthian church I implore you be reconciled to God you know that if you followed the truths of this book you wouldn't have that shame in your heart that feeling you get when you think about some of those things that you wish weren't there, and if you follow the principles of this book, you wouldn't have that. 
That is an indication that you were made in the image of God. And what he wants to do is reconcile you back to himself based on what he did. You don't have to earn it back. You simply receive the gospel. You do that by admitting that you're a sinner, admitting that you have gone your own way. And you turn your life back to him and say, I believe you. Please forgive me. I know what you did on the cross, and I want to give you my life. Become my Lord. That's the gospel, and that's what you need to embrace today. But maybe you're more like me, and I assume if you showed up here on Sunday, you're probably more like me, and you believe the gospel, but the battle you have is that tension simply to live for yourself. And because of the gospel, you need to embrace the fact that you do not belong to yourself. You don't have to sit around and feel guilty, oh man, I should be doing this. You simply have to look back at the gospel and say, Jesus, because of your gospel, I'm going to offer my life to you again today and lay it at your feet. Help me to represent you as your disciple and missionary. I want you to just imagine with me for a second. If just, not the church, but just this church, embrace their identity. Can't you just see gospel communities starting to pop up in different areas? different neighborhoods. I can see gospel centers and churches popping up in different areas all surrounding Gehenna. Couldn't you see that? One by one, person by person, as they fall in love with Jesus. That's what I'm praying for, for you and for me. One last thing, just before I go. Um, this, this one's free, okay? Um, one day, I was, uh, I was leaving my house and, you know, listen, you know, you might think pastors are always connected to God, and we are, but man, I don't always hear things like that. And, and I tell, I share, people, share the gospel, and sometimes I miss opportunities. Things like that happen to me all the time. But one day, I was leaving my house, and I got in my car, and I just prayed a prayer. I'm like, God, speak to me. Help me understand what you want me to understand today. Amen. You know, it's one of those quick ones, you know. I get in the car, I kind of forget what I'm doing because I'm backing out. I want to make sure, you know, I'm getting to the right place. And I go out of my complex, and on the right-hand side, there's a dumpster and a big fence around the dumpster that I can't see over, Okay. So I look to my left because I want to make sure no one's going to smack into me, you know, right? That's the first thing you're supposed to do. And uh, no one's there. So I go start to turn out to the right, and then I hear a squeal. So I slam the brakes. There was a woman there who was jogging. She's on my side of the street. She comes around the car. And I, I'm, I'm like, hey, miss, I am so sorry. And she goes, oh, no, it was my fault. I got to learn to quit jogging with my head down. Okay. <laughs> I sat there. She puts her head down and starts running off the same direction. And in that moment, man, I just felt like God said to me, you can't hear my truth and continue to live the same way without responding. Listen, if you're here today and you're hearing truth, not just saying, oh yeah, that's good, but if you know God is speaking to you, would you respond? If the gospel, if you're hearing it for the first time, would you give your life to Jesus? And if you're like me, if you're hearing it, would you be willing to lay your life down every day over and over again to represent him as his disciple and missionary? That's what I'm going to pray for us here, and I'm hoping you'll pray along with me, okay? So kind of bow your heads and, you know, try to get an attitude of talking to God for a second, and, you know, let's pray together. Um, God, I just trust that... Uh, You've been speaking to people here, as I know you've been speaking to me, and um, I'm so grateful that you went way out of your way to purchase me back to yourself, 
And uh, I belong to you. And God, I pray that my life would simply be a representation of who you are and of your message. And um, I pray, God, for the people here that um, anyone here who's never responded to the gospel, I pray that they would simply hear your voice and talk to you right now. If that's you, just tell him, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I believe you and I believe what you did on the cross. Come into my life. I want to give you my life. And if you're like me and you struggle simply just living for yourself, then tell him, God, because of your gospel, I don't belong to myself. Help me to be your disciple and your missionary. God, I pray that you would put me in situations where I could represent you well. Give me the courage to live it out and to use my words. Lord, we will put all the results in your hands. We trust that you know what you're doing and you have a plan. God, help us simply to respond to your gospel with our lives. In your son's name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for letting me be the guest and uh, come home at the same time, okay? <laughs> Amen. Well, we're going to move into a time of response. And if you're new here, you need to know that we seek to follow a gospel pattern in our worship gatherings on the weekends. And part of that pattern is confession, right? Where believers in Jesus come before the Lord and, and we own up to where we fall short. You know, in this particular topic, there's so much uh, guilt and shame associated with, you know, not sharing your faith. And, and maybe you're like me and you felt at times really, you know, beaten down because you feel like, well, I should be a better evangelist, you know, and I should be sharing Jesus more often. Or maybe you feel like you've missed opportunities. Anybody ever feel like that? It's like, oh, man, I missed, what was I thinking? You know, God teed it up right for me and I, I, I didn't say a word for Christ when I could have. You know, there's false guilt that the enemy likes to pile on us that's not genuine. And we want to reject that. But there's true conviction from the Holy Spirit as well. And that's different. And it's about specifically where we fall short. And I want us to take the next few moments and just, for ourselves, confess before the Lord where he is speaking to us about falling short. So would you bow your head with me? And maybe you just want to follow me as I pray, because this... Uh, this I sense the Spirit's conviction in my own heart. So, Lord, Father in heaven, I come before you and many of my friends join me in saying that we are sorry, and I am sorry, Lord, for so many times where I've missed opportunities because I was just so wrapped up in myself and it was my own agenda and I was on a mission to get something done and I viewed it as an interruption instead of an opportunity. And if I'd been walking in the Spirit, I would have had eyes to see that you were opening up a moment where I could speak a word for you. So I admit that to you, Lord. And Lord, sometimes, like Ed was talking about, we just feel like our life belongs to us, and, and you know we're our, we're our own masters, and we control our lives, and we forget how precious you really are. Others of us, we, we, we are missionaries. We are speaking often about that which is precious to us, but it's about our favorite sports teams or our favorite band or our restaurant or our kids. We're missionaries for something else. And yet, we want Jesus to be our most precious treasure, 
and to be sharing about him. So, Lord, we fall short. And I own that today before you. And I am grateful that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from even this sin and cleanses us from being so overly shy or overly timid or so wrapped up in ourselves that we're not seeing ourselves on mission. And so we receive the cleansing that is in the blood of Christ today. And we thank you. And Lord, we pray you would anoint us with a holy boldness and vision and eyes to see that we live in a world full of needy people who need to know the message of Christ and that we wouldn't miss those opportunities, but we would see them and seize them and boldly speak up for you and leave the outcome to you. So thank you for this challenge today, Lord. Holy Spirit, move now among us as we respond to the word. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Some prayer partners are going to be available uh, on either side to pray with you. And, and what comes to my mind is that some of you, you want to be bold in your witness for Christ. It is in you. And uh, maybe it's not there to the extent you'd want it to be. Well, come and let one of these folks pray some holy boldness into your life and vision to see the opportunities that Christ is putting before you. They would love the opportunity to pray with you and pray over you, and I hope that you'll take advantage of that. So let's stand together, and we're going to worship the Lord and respond as the Spirit leads us.